Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Welcome, everyone. You are so in for a treat today as we approach the topic of anger with some humor and, of course, some action. My very funny guest is Bill O'Hanlon, and he is a psychotherapist who was a developer of solution-oriented therapy and a founder of Possibility and Inclusive Therapies. He has written 23 books and is an amazing public speaker. I first learned about Bill through my husband, who attended a conference uh, about a year and a half ago um, in in which he learned hypnosis from Bill. And at that time, John, my husband, told me that Bill would teach classes also on how to get your book published in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was kind of equally intrigued with taking his class as I was about going to Santa Fe. So both did not disappoint me, and I highly recommend his class for anyone wanting to write a book. But let's go more towards the therapy end now. In December, I saw Bill at a conference once again. And basically, Bill, I, I kind of stalked you until <laughs> I found you alone in a hall and you agreed to do my show. So, Bill, I am honored to have you on today. Well, thank you for having me on. Now, you promised I'll be funny, so I have to start with one of my jokes. When people introduce me, they say, Bill O'Hanlon, psychotherapist, and I say, yes, emphasis on the psycho, definitely. Definitely emphasis on the psycho. So. There, that could be my last joke. You never know. But uh, oh, we'll yes, make it I light. think uh, I've been a therapist for over 30 years, and I'm a different kind of therapist. Um, and I think that's part of what we want to talk about today. I'm not so interested in analyzing what went wrong, but in finding solutions and possibilities. And so that's put me at odds with the mainstream psychotherapy. But it's been, uh, you know, I this is the introduction to the show. It's been a hopeful journey through psychotherapy, and sometimes I think it can be discouraging, definitely with autism, definitely with some of the things that people bring to therapy, but I think finding hope and possibilities is where the energy is for me. And that's where I want it to be for so many people. You know, when I first um, got the diagnosis for my son over 10 years ago, it's, it's you know part of this natural grieving process that everybody goes through. Um, for me, first, it was kind of this relief in, in knowing what was wrong because I just knew I had this very difficult child and not knowing what was wrong. So first it was a relief, and then it kind of moved into loss, which was kind of a loss over this child I was not expecting to raise. And then it moved into anger and that kind of why me, why him syndrome. Um, and at that time, I was fortunate to get in with a great therapist who quickly moved me into acceptance, and then eventually that acceptance moved me into action. But with so many of the patients that I see, my husband's patients and mine, and as I speak around the country, what I see is they start with denial, um, and that that hits, and I I, I don't want to... be stereotypical here, but it tends to be more with the men. I see a lot more denial initially. 
But uh, well, we're good at minimization. We're good at minimization and uh, thinking nothing's wrong. You know, my wife has to twist my arm to go to the doctor. You know, anytime <laughs> something she's worried about, I'm oh no, it's nothing, it's nothing, and then people just drop dead. You know, because they haven't paid attention to their health, and yeah. I think that's part of that natural tendency. And men may have a little testosterone poisoning where they do it a bit more, yes. And then, well, you know, then what it kind of moves into, and this is true with women too, is it, it goes it goes from denial right to anger, and then it just gets more anger and continued anger. And they love their children. I'm not questioning that, but they're starting to live this life of anger, and that is the whole vibration of the home. It's the whole energy of everywhere they go and everything that they do related to autism. It's about the anger, and that's that's the part I want to talk about today. All right. Good. So how do you get out of that? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. What you just said, I think, at the beginning was an important part. You can't be Pollyanna about this and say nothing's wrong, there's nothing to deal with, um, everything is going to be great. There's, I think, a really nice dance and balance that you can obtain after a while between acknowledging what's wrong and what you're feeling and what's going on and the frustrations and the disappointments, and acknowledging the possibilities, the good parts, the hope, the change. I think if you're on one side or the other, you're probably a little unbalanced and a little distorted. If you're only on the anger, disappointment, frustration, you know, grief side, and you've forgotten the love and the hope and the possibilities, you know, yes, you know, I, I once heard a story from this guy who was... Um, the, the commanding officer, the highest ranking officer in the North Vietnamese prison camps, the American, uh, um, American soldiers who were in, in military who were in the POW camp. Um, and he said the people who didn't make it out of the POW camp, because it was quite brutal conditions, right. were the optimists. And, and I was a little surprised about that, the optimists. And he said, yeah, right. those were those people who wouldn't face the brutal facts. They said, we'd be out by Christmas. And we weren't out by Christmas. Oh, we'll be out by Easter. Then we weren't out by Easter. And then we will be out by next Christmas. And then we weren't out. He said, you, here, here's the secret for success in difficult situations. You have to confront the brutal facts of your reality, as well as never lose faith that you'll prevail in the end. If you ever lose that faith, that hope, that possibility, then you're too discouraged and you either get angry or depressed, um, or you don't cope with the situation very well. So I think, it's the first hint that I would have is absolutely confront the brutal facts of your current reality okay. and step into the hope and the possibility and the love and the joy. I mean, even joy is possible, as you we were just talking before we got on air, about right. a joyful experience you'd had with your son, with your family. And, you know, it's not that he doesn't have autism, not that there aren't struggles, not that there aren't challenges, but there's also joy and happiness and hope and progress to recognize, even if it's small things. You know, some, sometimes when I work with someone who's really impaired in psychotherapy, I'll work with them and their family sometimes. And I remember one time a, whole, a family coming in and saying that their son, who was an adult actually, brushed his teeth on his own that week. And we all just like were jumping up and down <laughs> for joy in the office. And you think, okay. If this were a different situation, people would be looking at you saying, what are you jumping up and down because somebody brushed their teeth? But you have to celebrate those small, small joys and victories and progresses 
and you adjust your, you know, expectations so that you don't say, oh, well, all he did was brush his teeth one time, and he hasn't done it twice, and yeah. every normal person could break the brush their teeth. You know, sorry. Adjust your expectations and celebrate that progress. That's so that's the first hint. Okay. All right. Well, I can. I think that's fabulous advice because I think that um, that positive piece was probably one of the most frustrating things when my son was at his worst because my son was really, really severe. And when people would tell me to just relax and go get my nails done, you know, I just wanted to smack them. It's like, how can I relax when my son is screaming 12 hours a day? Right. Um, But I'm interrupting, I know, but I really don't want this to go by. I think there's a big difference between being positive and being filled with hope and possibility. So I think that that's what sometimes people, it's sort of the curse of our culture. It's you got to be positive. And sorry, sometimes I'm not positive, but I still can have hope and possibilities. And I sometimes can't just go and enjoy getting my nails done or going to the movies because it's not that easy. That's being positive, which I think is a little bit of denial, and it's a little bit of minimization. And I think that's different from having possibilities or hope. Oh, that's great advice. Very, very good. Um, and, and certainly much more doable than just telling myself I have to be happy. Um, yeah, be, relax, let go of the stress, be happy. Now that's advice, you know, that's like someone who says to someone who's depressed, well, just cheer up, it's not so bad. It, that is usually extremely unhelpful <laughs> advice to give to someone who's depressed. If Actually, they could do that, they would have done it. It's not a failure of willpower. Oh, I never yeah, thought of that. That's right. And usually, of course, that makes people who are depressed feel more isolated and more frustrated because they would like to be able to do that. They just haven't. So there's something different from just, you know, relax, let go of the stress, don't let it bother you so much, just let it go and go out and get your nails done. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and I think, you know, it's something you and I have talked about a little uh, before as well, I think that it's the questions you ask yourself or what you focus your attention on. You know, initially when the diagnosis happens, when you're dealing with the difficulties, the questions are often why questions. Why me? Why us? Why my child? You know, and that's, those are normal questions asked at first. They're not that helpful because sometimes they're not that answerable. And also, they often lead to self-blame or blaming somebody else. So ultimately, I, what I usually hope, you know, and help people do is move from why questions to what and how questions. Okay. There's just a little shift in emphasis there. That is, what can we do now? What can make things a little easier to cope with things? And how can we improve the situation? How can we get our child to cooperate a little more? How can we get our child to function a little better? How can we get our marriage to work a little better given this stressful situation? Or our family? Or how can I take care of myself within this difficult situation rather than why is this happening to us? Why won't he? Why won't you? Why can't I? What's, or what's wrong with me or what's wrong with you or what's wrong with him or her. And so I think those kind of questions that are asking for explanations or that are trying to find out what's, you know, what's wrong with someone uh, in terms of a blame or self-blame thing, it's probably better after the first iteration of those questions to move on to other questions, which is what and how. And, and going back to, you know, 
because so many of the children with autism are nonverbal or seem out of it, um, what's even sadder is that these why discussions uh, are done right in front of the child, and it's kind of like, you know, why is he this way? Why is he acting this way? And um, it, it, it's really sad that these kids kind of have to continuously hear all of these these things that are not approved of about them. And yes. they take that in. Yeah, as if they don't take it in because they're not very verbal and they're not very expressive sometimes in those areas. But, yeah, I mean, there have been some researches, and I, I know you know about these because we, we do talk about them in hypnosis. One of the prime hypnosis researchers was a guy who was, an abs- who was actually an obstetrician-gynecologist, and he did obstetric surgery as well. And he did a study, and he found that people that were under anesthesia knocked out, unconscious, could, could recall things and were influenced by things that were said by the people who were operating on that really? person. If they said, oh, no, he's a goner, <laughs> that person's <laughs> blood pressure, like, you know, their, their, their vitals went down, and that person actually became, you know, suicidal afterwards, thinking that their life was over. So he did a bunch of experiments to find out that people could recall these things. He did it in, through hypnosis. He would bring people back to even unconscious states. So I would never assume that yes. somebody who's in the same vicinity is not at some level taking in even just the voice tones and the voice volumes and the, the nonverbals, if not the verbal meaning. But, you know, I would certainly be careful of my words. And I guess that goes back to what we were talking about is that I really learned early on as a therapist the importance of words and how words can influence people. Just something as simple as when people come into therapy, I say, what brings you here rather than what's the problem? Right. Or we, Bill, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right that. back in just a few minutes talking with Bill Hanlon. Don't go away. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute. And the main issue, to sum everything up, is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies. And we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn the Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or 
call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We're back with Bill O'Hanlon talking about a lot of things in the emotion of autism, and especially in the, the why me type category and how to kind of clear yourself and your family of that self-destructive thought and to bring it into wonderful possibilities. Uh, what I want to first talk to you about right now in this segment, Bill, is uh, intention. And we've mentioned the word intention in the intro to this, and intention is something that my husband yes. preaches a lot of. Um, and I don't think people fully understand what intention is. So can you explain what, what it means to use strong intention? Yeah, you know, uh, I think, you know, most people know it in terms of prayer, and there's a, you know, joke that the prayer isn't, the, the prayer isn't God, why did you do this to me? <laughs> I think that's how some people pray when they're having difficulty. <laughs> or just saying, just saying, you know, um, make this happen. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. What, you know, what you do with intention is you put your energy in a certain place. You know, uh, there, years ago I read this book by Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist who was imprisoned by the Nazis in some concentration camps, and he made a really good point. He said, look, if every other freedom is taken away from you, you still have the freedom of what you think, of your own insides. And I think that's what I'm thinking about with intention is where do you put your attention where, you know, and, and <clears throat> there was a novelist, Alice Monroe, and she said, where your mind goes, your behind will follow. And I think that that's what we're talking about with intention. What are you focusing on? Again, are you focusing on all the things that are wrong? Are you focusing on where you want to go? And so there's a slight difference in that. One is focused on the past and probably things you can't change. Another is focused on the present towards the future and what possibly could change. So... I think that's one of the first points to make about intention is it's focused in where you want to go rather than where you don't want to go. So when you talk about intentions and you say, well, I don't want to feel unhappy, it's a lot harder to get to happy because your attention is focused on unhappy and getting rid of it. So, Right. And this, is, this, this has to do, you know, all in, yeah. interwined with this, the whole law of attraction, which is finally getting a lot more attention now Hey, it was just on Oprah, wasn't it? The <laughs> secret was on Oprah, and the book is really, yeah, that's big stuff. I, uh, yeah, my, actually, we had first heard about it at the same conference uh, where John had bought yep. a book on it first. And, of course, we watched the documentary, which we really, really loved. But pri- even prior to that, 
Um, John and I are big fans of Esther and Jerry Hicks and Ask It Is, oh, yeah. it is Given and re- read a lot of their work, which is also, if, if you want to read some really great work on Law of Attraction, I think Esther and Jerry Hicks have done some great work on it. Uh, no relation to us, by the way. <laughs> um, anyway, this is this is the piece, it's that Law of Attraction. Now, I, I, I know that you are not as um, focused in the autism community, but I, there's something I, I need to explain to you that you may or may not be aware of that's a huge energy in the autism community, and that is this anti-vaccine campaign. Um, you know, I, I have... I, I'm every bit as much in agreement that vaccines have largely contributed to the autism increase. So that being said, please know that I do understand that. However, all this energy is consistently going out towards anger at the CDC, this anti-anti-anti piece, as opposed to um, what can we do to give attention to a company who's going to make safe vaccines? What are we going to give attention to cleaner water? Are we going to give attention to clean air? You know, these are things that are being avoided in the whole anger of it all. Well, I think you said it really well, and that is, you know, it's it's not enough to be against something. You have to be for something. And what are you for and where are you putting your attention? Is your attention on opposing things again and again and again? Or uh, is your intention, attention and intention on what you want to have happen? Like you said it pretty well. Where, you know, who is making and where could, how could we support somebody who's making safe vaccines? Because you really do want to have your kid vaccinated to protect them in a certain, you know, from certain things. Um, and you also don't want them to be harmed. So, and you don't want any kids to be harmed. So, what are you putting your attention on? And it's not just in the vaccine area. What are you putting your attention on in your family? Are you putting your attention on not this and anti this? Are you putting your attention on I want a peaceful time in my family and a loving family, a loving and peaceful family? Is that where I'm putting my attention? Or am I putting my attention on how can I get the screaming to stop? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's again, a, a difference in orientation. And one of them leads your energy on and one of them holds your energy back. And I think... But that's another one of the skills of shifting your attention. You always have that freedom, whether someone's holding a gun to your head or not, whatever circumstances you're in, you always have freedom of where you put your attention, how you think, what you focus on. Sometimes you don't have any choices about thousands of other things, but you always have a choice of where you put your attention and intention. And it's so. Tr- and that was probably one of my favorite, favorite parts of The Secret is when they talked about Mother Teresa and when they, you know, when she said, "Don't invite me to an anti-war rally, I won't come. Invite me to a peace rally." Yeah, that's and, nice. And I thought that that really helps people understand, um, you know, a little bit more as to where they have to focus. So, so yes, I think that that is, is a big part of all of this is this whole intention, this law of attraction, wanting to say the things that you want. Now, it's interesting when my um, the son was at his worst. Um, I, I would consistently, probably in my mind, it, it was it was a prayer that I would say over and over and over again whenever he would be screaming. And at the time, 
I have to say, there were there were moments when I felt like, is anybody listening? He's still screaming. I'm still making the same positive prayer, but he's still screaming. <laughs> and yeah. you you really do get. I mean, now you know, many years later, I think, wow, what what a wonderful gift all of that progress was. How many people I'm able to help because of where I was all the things that each step of the way taught me, how every screen brought me to a different place, you know, all of the positive things. It's easy to say that now, but I know that when you're in it, it's so easy to feel like you're not being heard. And and that's that's part of it. You know, you, you say in this law of attraction or intention, but I do. I say every day I pray for him and I and is it is it a matter of then at one point this acceptance, or do you keep your intention to where you want it to be? What, how do you deal with that frustration part when you're not getting what you're asking for? Or so? Well, I think that, you know, what you said is, uh, you know, and what I said earlier, what you said, just said and what I said earlier is there, you know, acknowledge the frustration and keep yourself focused on the day or the time in the future that it will be there, that you will be closer to that. I mean, here you are 10 years later, and you're in a much different place with your kids. Now, it's easy for, you know, you to say that now because somebody's right in the middle of it. It's harder for them. But that's partly why you go, you know, read books, talk to other families, um, connect with other people, listen to this kind of radio show, um, watch DVDs and videos about this stuff, to give you some sense, somebody else has been here and they've made it out the other side. You know, that gives, I think, a lot of hope. So when you're frustrated and when you don't think it's going fast enough, just keep your eyes on the prize. Keep yourself in that faith. doesn't mean you can't be frustrated in the moment. I think that's the key is where are you going to put your attention and where are you going to put your intention. You're going to get sucked back into it. It'll never change. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? What's wrong with me? Why did this happen to us? If you put your attention there, it's going to probably increase your frustration and your unhappiness mm-hmm. and the atmosphere, that sort of negative atmosphere in your family. Yeah, that's for sure. That that happens quickly. So then going back to um, what it is we're asking for, and that that's the part that I think it's tricky. And... Um, what I hear many parents say, at least to us, or they, they, they go into their consult with my husband for the first time, and he says, what are your main concerns? And very frequently people will say, I just want my child to be normal. And if what, what do you say to somebody whose intention is for normalcy? Well, again, you know, sometimes I ask people in my psychotherapy things, what would make things better? And they say, winning the lottery. And I say, yeah, okay, but given the amount of money you have now and the situation now, what could you do within that situation? So I just reframe the question. That is, it's not I want my child to be normal. You, What you actually want is some sort of loving, peaceful atmosphere. So go beyond the the specific request of, I want him to not scream or I want him to look me in the eyes or whatever it is that you're saying. And then and then I ask the next question, okay, if he weren't screaming or she weren't screaming or they were looking you in the eyes, what would happen? Well, I'd feel connected to them. So, well, why don't you focus on that? Let's focus on you really want to be connected to your child. Now, that may not involve eye contact. Maybe it involves something else. 
may not involve playing a board game. It may involve something else. So go to the intention beyond the specific request. I want my child to be normal. I want to win the lottery. And say, well, okay, once you won the lottery, what would be happening in your life? Well, I'd be less stressed. Okay, well, so let's focus on reducing your stress. That's a more realistic intention for you to put your attention on. Don't get hung up on the process of getting there. Get interested in the outcome. It's not I want a normal child or no problems in my life. That's not a realistic outcome. Once this happens, whatever you're hoping for, what will be the outcome then? We'll have a more loving family. I'll feel better. I'll feel less frustrated. I'll feel happier. Uh, we'll have a better marriage. We'll have a better family. Um, you know, things will be more peaceful. Whatever it is, focus yeah. on the end goal rather than the process. And that's the same thing with prayers. I mean, if you say, God, you know, help me find a parking place, that's too specific. But you say, you know, God, help my life be less stressed. And that's a little more, then it gives God some, you know, leeway. So those people who pray for those specific things, I think, that's when they get hung up because they say, hey, you didn't give me the parking place. And then, you know, all those people who are theologians, you know, who say, you can't second guess what God's plans are because ultimately yeah. maybe there's something good that comes out of this, but interimly he didn't deliver exactly what you requested. Yeah. And that's, again, like, you know, asking for a specific presence from your parents. They may not be able to get you that present, but they'll get you something, hopefully, that's loving and that's kind and that shows that they care for you. So I think when you get hung up on the specific request, that's not the same thing as putting your attention intention on something. That's trying to manipulate and control what's uncontrollable in the universe, I think. Excellent advice. This is Bill O'Hanlon we're talking to. We'll be right back in just a moment. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the Sensory Learning Program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The true meaning of your dreams doesn't have to be a mystery. Join host Bob Haas, author and pioneer in dream science, to understand what your dreams mean and how they impact your daily life. Bob and his panel of experts from the International Association for the Study of Dreams will provide facts about dreams and discuss techniques of translating your own dreams and how you can use them for your mental and physical well-being. Dreamtime will further explore the research and science of dreaming and deliver a powerful comprehension of the function of dreaming. Listen live to Dreamtime with Bob Haas every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network and discover the science behind your dreams. Again, that's every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
Good health is more than good medicine. Good health starts with good nutrition. On Designer Health, with certified nutritionist, author, and host, Carol Simontachi, get back on the health track. Carol provides expert advice as your mom, your nutritionist, and your health coach. From eating your vegetables, the hows and whys of good food and meal preparation, to insight into nutritional supplements and tips to progress on the road to wellness. Designer Health with Carol Simontachi broadcasts each Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Designer Health. Achieve your personal health goals one step at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. Welcome back. If you're listening to Bill O'Hanlon today with me and as fascinated with this man as I am, I urge you to go to his website. Um, as we mentioned at the very beginning of the show, Bill has um, written over 20 books. But 20, are you at 23 right now, Bill, or...? I, have you I written any in the last? But I'm at 28. Actually. Oh, you're on 28. You need to update your website. <laughs> I know. I was just seeing that. I heard that when you said that. I thought, oh, I need to update that website. <laughs> Sorry. So I'm too um, busy writing books to update my website. Of course. <laughs> His website is. Do you prefer to send people to BillHanlon.com? Yeah, BillOhanlon.com is fine. And, uh, and you can't have any abbreviations. And I have an apostrophe in my last name, but on the web there are no apostrophes. So no apostrophes allowed. Bill O'Hanlon, Bill O-H-A-N-L-O-N. Good. Please visit his website. He has many books. And uh, at the very end, Bill, I'm hoping you can recommend specific ones of your books, specific yes. books of yours for, for yes, all of this. I do. I do have something in mind. So. Okay, good. So let's now focus on turning this trauma into more helpful experiences. Um, and well, you know, actually one of those books that I wrote of the 28 was a book called Thriving Through Crisis. And the MS Society, the Multiple Sclerosis Society, actually chose it as, as one of their books of the year and won an award because it really helps people deal with crisis. And you know what? What got to me as I was listening to the media talk about trauma, I, I think the good news is we've recognized trauma and what an effect it has on people. And having a diagnosis, you know, with your child having autism is quite a traumatic event for most families, most parents, most people. But there's no, there's no, you know, sentence that is carried out that it has to continue to be traumatic. It can actually be a positive and growthful experience. And so I wrote a whole book called Thriving Through Crisis, Turning Tragedy and Trauma into Growth and Change, which is about post-traumatic success. It doesn't mean you can take away the trauma. The trauma was already there. It had, it, you know, it, what happened, happened. But again, your response to it and how you respond to it. And I found in my studies, both the research and in my talking with people and researching how people actually resolve this trauma or use it as a, as a growthful experience that contributed to their lives and their families, hard as it may be for somebody who's listening to believe it if they're in the middle of it, Many people, once they come out the other side, say, you know, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have wished that on my worst enemy, but I would never give up the experience that I had. It's made my life right. deeper and richer. It's made my relationships better. And I think there are three elements that really make the difference, and I call them the three Cs, connection, compassion, and contribution. The first one is connection. Does the trauma, after you've recovered from the initial shock of it, 
Does it help you connect more deeply and better with yourself, with other people, and with something beyond, the bigger meaning, God, spiritual you know, awareness, uh, spiritual life, whatever it may be, um, your life purpose, whatever. So does it, as a result of having this trauma, does it lead you in a direction that really contributes to your life uh, by connecting you more with yourself and something beyond yourself? The second element, then, is compassion. Does it help make you more sensitive to other people's pains and troubles instead of being judgmental? Does it help you be a little more kind to yourself so you're not so self-critical? You give yourself a break. Some people are really self-critical and they're hard on themselves. And sometimes by going through these experiences, they say, you know, I'm going through enough. I need to be gentle with myself. I don't need to add any more to my problems by criticizing myself or by being judgmental to other people. So does it help you soften towards yourself or other people? The last one is contribution. Now, it's interesting that I'm talking to you because you took your experience, which was pretty devastating and pretty difficult, uh, the worst of it, and turned it into a contribution. You created this radio show. Other people have written books. Other people do research. Other people have galvanized the community to organize support groups or better vaccines, you know, safer vaccines. What can you take your hurt and your anger and your frustration and can you turn it into something that contributes in the world rather than just recycles within yourself as something that stresses you out or upsets you? It's not that you can't be upset. It's can you take that upset or that trauma or that hurt or that pain or that setback and make it into something that actually contributes in a positive way to the community, to the world, to other people. And, you know, that's what you're doing with this show. You've taken something that was quite challenging for you and your family and turned it into how can I help other people if I touch one person through this radio show and it helps them, and obviously you've probably touched many more than one person, but it's worth the whole price of admission. You know, doing a show like this takes time away from your family. It takes effort. Some, for some people it's challenging because you have to put yourself out in the world. Some people might criticize you. You have to make yourself vulnerable. But for you... You took this experience of difficulty in your life and you turned it into a contribution. So have many, many other people who have gone through MS, autism, you know, um, paraplegia, right. any traumatic event, cancer. Right. Can you then turn this thing into a growth experience by contributing to the world? And that's a pretty important thing to do with this stuff. So Bill, Reach what, out to other people. What is it, though, about... Um, turning it around that works in such a healing way. Um, why is well, even years ago when when he was first diagnosed, I immediately drew together a support group in my area um, for for diet. And and I mean, I learned a lot through through that support group and such. Right. But yes, yeah, so, so so why do we do this? And it things? wasn't just about diet, though. It was about the personal connection. What we know, I mean, having been a therapist for over 30 years, psychotherapist for over 30 years, what we know is when people have problems, they, their natural response is to isolate. That's the natural initial response. Why? Because you feel alienated and alone. You don't feel like anybody else can understand what you're going through. You don't have time to deal with anybody else because you're overwhelmed by right. this thing. And you don't want to get hurt because you're already hurting 
and being around other people, sometimes they say the wrong thing or they say something stupid or, you know, undermining or they just don't understand, and then you feel more and more alienated. Almost everybody with a serious problem and a serious trauma feels alone and alienated. So it, if you take the effort like you did to create a support group, it has an, we already know from the research that people who have better social connections are generally happier, are healthier, and cope with stress better. It reduces stress and it helps you cope with stress better. So the first you know, element is your first impulse to go out and start a support group focused on diet, but a support group was a really good impulse. And again, I hate to say it, but this is where men fall down and women seem to do a little better because men don't want to know know about anybody else. They don't want anybody else to know what they're going through physically. And we're socialized like that to be strong and alone. And even with our spouses or our friends, we don't want to tell them. Um, actually, I don't know, uh, you, you may have focused on this because I haven't heard all your shows, but I've been watching the, the television series The Shield on, um, uh, on DVD. My wife and I had never seen it, and we ran in one, and we got kind of hooked into the characters. And this very tough, you know, uh, corrupt cop has a child diagnosed with autism, and he doesn't want to tell any of his friends. And they find a book in his car one day, and he sort of admits it. But he's, you know, he doesn't want anybody to know. He's ashamed of it. He feels isolated. He feels as if no one will understand. And I, when I watched that, I thought, boy, that is a typical, and he's very testosterone-filled male. That's a typical testosterone-poisoning male. He doesn't want to let anybody know because he doesn't want to be vulnerable. And I think we all have that tendency as well, just not to be vulnerable or to withdraw from people, whether it's male or female. And so going against that is a really very healthy instinct, I think. After the initial shock right. and the initial withdrawal. Well, you know, we're, we, we have about a minute and a half towards break, but, but I, I am curious to know what a woman, or, you know, I, once again, I hate to just always say it's about the man, but we'll, we'll just say in this particular case what a woman may do if her husband is stuck in that piece. Can you help bring somebody out of that, or do they have to? come to that realization? Well, I hate to sound like uh, what about Bob the movie, but baby steps, baby steps. Yes, I think there are some <laughs> small ways to move them towards. If you, if you try and move them too fast, they withdraw back into the cave. So I think right. small steps and small little connections, you know, little, little openings, but take those and don't push it too much and then wait for the person to take them up and then move on a little small step. Yeah. Well, and then that goes back a little bit towards that whole connection piece. And I think that that is huge. The connection part, as I think back on my last decade of the connection that, certainly the connection I've felt spiritually, um, the connection I have towards all of my children, the connection I have towards, um, I, I mean, it, I, I had my, my ex-husband and I divorced during the, the whole process of all this. And um, a big part of it was because I, I went one direction with autism and he went another way. Yeah. And um, yeah. I see it happen a lot. And it's hard for, for a lot of people who have a spouse who's going in the other direction. You get to a point where you feel like you can only do so much. And at some points, you, you do need to go different directions. But um, I, it's, it's always even more difficult on some situations, so I don't like to condone that. <laughs> um, but yeah. take those steps where you can. Very good advice. We're going to take our last break here. We'll be right back with Bill O'Hanlon.
Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn the Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call Call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. I am back here with Bill O'Hanlon, and we are talking about a lot of the grief involved with autism and how we can take that grief and make it into wonderful possibilities. Um, please visit uh, Bill's website, which is billohanlon.com. No apostrophe <laughs> in your no web address. No dashes, um, no apostrophe. Yeah, that's right. Now, I want to, and, and then also, uh, I want to make sure once again to talk about his wonderful books. And, Bill, what was the name of the book that you had talked about earlier? It's called Thriving Through Crisis. That's so, right. You know, actually, another book I was thinking that might be useful for uh, for folks who are dealing with this is my book, Do One Thing Different. Cause oh, you're asking, right. How do you help make people make this change? This is my big claim to fame. You know, I, I was raised in a family of eight kids, and... After my first book, you know, my family was never impressed. Oh, another book, big deal, you know. But then I got on Oprah with Do One Thing Different, and they were totally impressed. So this is the one that's probably the most popular of my books, very accessible, written for the general audience, and um, a very easy book about how to make small changes that can make a big difference. And I think with families that are dealing with this issue of, uh, you know, autism, they're probably not going to have time or energy to make big ma- radical changes. They've already had a big radical change in their life. 
So sometimes making those smaller changes is more doable and um, a little less disruptive to everyday life. So I'd recommend that one as well. But I have a bunch of books, and so it's hard to focus on one or the other. But driving through crisis and do one thing different, um, I think, are the ones that might be the best. That sounds good. Good advice. Um, so one of the, the, the techniques that um, my husband has learned through you is, is hypnosis. And does, do you find hypnosis is, is helpful? I'm assuming it's hypnosis towards the parent. I mean, I don't even know. Have you even worked with it? On yeah, I don't know. I, I, I've never used it with someone diagnosed with autism, and I, I would be a little skeptical that it would be a best approach. Um, you know, we were talking earlier because we've, we've been at the same conference that one of, there are a bunch of new tools in, in change work, I guess, I, I would say, psychotherapy, but also general change work and uh, that help people really cope with things emotionally or psychologically and that resolve trauma that are really rapid approaches. When I see someone on television that says, oh, I have an airplane phobia and I can't get over it, you know, I've had it for years and I can't, there are treatments now that are really effective treatments. They're still being researched and they're fairly new, but they're very exciting. And emotional freedom technique is one of them. It's yes. a, a really simple technique it involves, you know, it sort of it, it draws upon acupuncture without the needles because it, this involves tapping on some points on the body, and it's had amazing effects on some people. And I, I've even heard recently that it's been used as a potential treatment for autism to help with some of the issues with autism. So that's pretty incredible. Very new research, very, but it's non-invasive. Doesn't involve needles. It doesn't involve medications. It's very quick. It takes five, ten, fifteen minutes at the most for each session. It's very, very quick. And you know, and you can sometimes so there are mo- there are modifications of it, so it doesn't have to involve um, a tapping, which would be disturbing for some of the kids uh, diagnosed with autism. Some of them would go along with it, and some of them wouldn't. But also, it could be used for the family members and the parents to cope with things a little better and to not be so overwhelmed. So I think that's something. There's a website that people can go on to to check that out. It's called emofree.com. It's, it's short for emotional freedom. So emofree, E-M-O-F-R-E-E.com. And if you want to go check it out and find either a practitioner who uses it or get some of the material yourself, which you can get, they'll give you a free manual and um, for just the shipping and handling, they'll give you a videotape to learn how to do it. You can do it on your own. It's quite amazing. That's that's, I, I'm glad to know about that website. I think actually it's listed as a link on our website because we do recommend EFTs um, to, uh, and, it, and it's so tremendously helpful and easy to do once you get in the habit of doing it. And it just, you know, it goes back into getting that att- that attention into the right mode. Yeah. Um, I guess my my husband. I have to ask the question that my my husband asks as he's walking. He out delivered the a question by proxy. I, I heard he was going <laughs> to. Throw a question at me. I want to hear this question. He's listening. So, John, I know you're listening Good. right now. And as he walked out the door, I said, and he adores you, Bill. So I, I, I knew. I can see his smiling face right now. It's in my <laughs> imagination. So. I said, uh, what would you want to ask Bill? And, of course, John's questions are never easy, nor are his <laughs> answers. But um, his question was, um, from a psychotherapeutic perspective, and I actually had to write that down, and I spell it too but I, I did okay but from a, yeah, that's a hard from a psychotherapeutic perspective why do you feel we have seen an increase in autism 
Well, the first the first answer I have is I have no clue. I'm, I don't even you know I don't know about that. And also, the kind of approach that I have to psychotherapy isn't so interested in causes, but more in solutions. So that's my first answer. Okay. But the second answer is actually I do have an idea, but it's just an idea, and I'm not sure it's true. Uh, but I hope it would be helpful to people. I think that you know no. <laughs> You and your husband and I all go to a conference. It's a body-mind conference. And I think that we didn't know for years that the body, the mind, the heart, the spirit, the guts, and, and also people's relationships have a lot to do with illness. It's not just genetic or biochemical. It's not just chemical-based. Yes, that stuff may be a precipitating factor, but we're so complex as beings that we're, all that stuff influences one another. So one of the hypotheses, hypotheses that one could have is that we live in a disconnected society. We live in a very individualistic society. We live in a very technological society. I was reading, and you, I'm sure you know this stuff, that the incidence of at least the diagnosis of autism in the Pacific Northwest and around Silicon Valley has skyrocketed either because we're recognizing this more or those kind of behaviors, if you will, the isolated sit behind your computer for 18 hours a day writing computer code um, and being on the surfing the Internet as being rewarded and selected for. So there's a social and cultural aspect, I think, and we have this society that invites us to isolation, that invites us to focus internally and disconnect. And I think part of healing the world is can we go against that tendency, healing our society, and so maybe that has an influence on the incidence of this. You know, in another way, though, I do think that our diagnosis and our recognition of this is a lot better. So I think that, that in part explains why there's been a big jump in the numbers of people diagnosed with autism. And I think that that's an important thing to recognize, that we're just recognizing it, which you know, in one way is a really good thing because as we recognize it, as we join together in support groups and better research, we can find what helps this stuff. So that's my long answer to John's well, short that's question. Well, that's a very interesting answer. No, no, it's good, and it's important. I think, you know, where my husband is trying to find the answers for is in knowing how emotionally based uh, medicine needs to start leading. In other words, as we talked about yeah. that mind-body connection, that you know, yeah. you go to any autism conference, and very little of it is going to deal with um, going through the emotional part of it. It's mostly going to be talking about yeah. all the biomedical things that are wrong, the broken child kind of syndrome, as I as I call it sometimes. Um, you know, the Autism One conference, which is the conference that I am very strongly involved with, it's going to be a Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. For anyone who's interested in going, they, they approach it from a much different perspective. They do have the biomedical stuff, but there's a lot of other, much more emotional um, involvement with it as well. But, well, again, um, why, have, why have to have that separation? We know, again, from mind-body research, knowledge, that... No matter what causes it, if it's biomedically caused, you can intervene spiritually, you can intervene emotionally, you can intervene relationally. And so why are we neglecting these potential intervention categories 
And, you know, it's been very clearly shown that emotions have a strong influence on the manifestation of problems. And maybe, again, not the cause of them, but the manifestation. We know it's, it's a factor in heart attacks, in heart disease. We know it's somewhat a factor in cancer and cancer recovery. We know it's a factor in diabetes. We know this stuff. It's been shown again and again and again. People shy away from it either because they're not focused on it or because they think it's blaming the victim. Oh, well, you're just saying it's all in their head or it's emotional. No, we're saying that if you deal with the emotions, it can have a healing effect on people. So you better not neglect that aspect of, of any kind of problem. We know that emotions have an effect on how things manifest. That's I couldn't agree more. That is beautifully said and a great way to close our show today. Everybody, once again, website is Bill, B-I-L-L-O-H-A-N-L-O-N.com, BillHanlon.com. Bill, you've been a joy to have on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Thank you for doing this show. This is and a great show. I'll probably see you in December. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, thanks again. Bye-bye, everyone. The Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.